Welcome to the Titan Size Podcast. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of the Titan Size Podcast, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. Since it is Thanksgiving week, we're going to do things a little bit different this week. We're going to have two shorter episodes, uh, mainly because I don't know that any of us wants to talk for too long about the monstrosity we witnessed on Sunday involving the Titans. And since we've already previewed the Texans because they're a divisional opponent, we're going to do sort of an abbreviated preview episode later in the week. And because it's the holidays, uh, we're just going to kind of shorten it up a little bit. So let's hop right into it since we do have limited time. Bad, bad, bad is all I can say to describe the Titans' effort on Sunday against the Colts. I'm not sure what else you can really say. I think we should just shut down the podcast right there. We pretty much covered it all, right? Yep. Uh, I don't like. I'm joking, but I'm not joking. That that was just really a, an atrocious performance. Uh, there's only so much you can really say about it without throwing out curse words and just condemning everything about the team. But they just got outplayed. They got outcoached. Uh, they didn't seem like they even cared what was happening on the field. They weren't prepared. Uh, and we've kind of seen that happen a couple times this year. Uh, and, and I think that's probably the most concerning part uh, because you don't want this uh, to continue as a theme under Mike Rabel. Uh, but so far, it does seem like it is a theme. Uh, you come off a big win and then, and then you lay a goose egg. But but that's kind of been the uh, a mantra of the Titans for, for quite a while. So... I guess we probably should have expected it. We kind of did. We we thought uh, going into this game that it was a bit of a trap game. Not really a trap game because the Colts were four and five. It's not like we were playing the Bills. But um, yeah, we kind of expected something, uh, something not something like this. But we we thought it would be a much tougher game than probably a lot of people expected. Uh, but I did not see a twenty-eight point deficit happening. So that was terrible. Yeah, I mean it was about as bad of a performance as you could see. Uh, It was like the Baltimore game, except Mariota also got hurt, so it was even worse and had longer implications. Uh, All you can hope is, in similar fashion to the Baltimore game, the players just kind of bounce back and don't sit on this and just decide that that's who they are and they you know, show up more like the team that played against uh, the – Patriots and the Cowboys instead of the teams that's played against, you know, Buffalo and Baltimore and Indianapolis. And I, I mean, I don't know, like there, there's no reason it should have happened the way it did. Um, and yet a team that should have won at every level of the field lost at every level of the field. So, you know, at, at least they have a longer week to kind of prepare, but man. Um, yeah, a lot went wrong obviously in the game you can't sit here and point fingers at one position group or one player so let's just talk about some of the stuff that went wrong but I want us to keep in mind that a week ago this team did beat the Patriots so clearly this isn't a bad football team however there are some clear deficiencies and I want to start on the offensive line Taylor Lewan, I thought he's fine. He's Taylor Lewan. He may not have been, you know, sensational, but he's at least average at this point. But everyone else is playing below average. Quentin Spain, Ben Jones, Josh Klein, and even Jack Conklin were horrific yesterday. And Conklin has struggled in more games than one this season. Now, I don't think this is at the end of Conklin or anything like that. I mean, he was sensational years one and two. I think he'll figure it out eventually. 
But that whole unit is playing bad right now. The offensive line is not playing good football. And so what do you do? How do you fix that? I mean, you, you can't really fix it personnel-wise this year because you're kind of stuck with what you have in mid-November. I think uh, I, I think Dennis Kelly needs to play because every time he's been on the field, he's been one of our better one of our better players, period. So I think you in, need to give in him a lieu chance. of who though, do you take Conklin off the field? So, this is this is my, my I, I I'm not a football coach. I'm not an offensive line coach, but I really think you need to try to experiment here and put Kelly at right tackle and maybe move Conklin to one of the guard positions. And you know, Mike uh, Vrabel the- Mike Vrabel was asked about that, that very thing today. Really? And I thought his answer was very uh interesting because I expected him to be like just something like well we talk about everything every week but his response was like I don't know I'll find it but okay well I I just I I can't I don't remember the last time Conklin played guard um and he'd probably struggle a little bit with it but he's he's having some problems at right tackle um and, and just doesn't seem to have that same feel uh, for the position that he did in 2016 and most of 2017. So I think if you put him inside and take out, I don't know, pick pick someone, because all three interior linemen have been pr- very inconsistent all, all year. Uh, Josh Klein was pretty much the reason Mariota got hurt in this game, um, and we saw that also in the Jacksonville game two years ago. Klein was also the reason. Uh, he's just very inconsistent. Spain has probably been better than both. Klein and Ben Jones, so I, I would give him maybe a little more leeway, but they're, they're just they're they're not playing well. Ben Jones in particular is he's he's bad. I, I don't know what else yeah. you could say. He's re, he he's probably showing his age more so than anything, but he just there's not really a mean streak there. there there's not there's nothing nothing going right. He's with just him kind of existing right now, like as a turnstile. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he was okay in, in the two games before this one, but he was really. He was not good do, in do, Klein. Do, do we think, Klein. obviously, Corey Levin was a disaster at guard, but do we think he'd be any better at center? Yes. That's, I mean, yeah. I think this is natural. Position. You can expand. Okay, so uh, I, I'm going to kind of wrap these two questions in one. I think in practice, especially in a long week, what you have to do is you have to try Levin at center and left guard, but you've already seen him at left guard, so you play him more at center. Um, because Ben Jones is playing right now like he's undersized, like he just can't anchor. Um, yeah. He's fine moving. It's just he's just he's got no, he got no sand in his pants. Like he just does not. He cannot. He's getting blown off the line. It seems like. Yeah, like he he just cannot win in the win in the run game or prevent himself from getting bull rushed. It's just, I mean, that's which is a huge issue for a center. Like if you're a guard, you can get away with it because. You know, if you line up a guy head up on a guard, you don't know which way he's going. The center most times, you know, on a pass play is just going to drop straight back or shift one way or the other. Like, the, the nose tackle is still going to be his responsibility. So, that that's bad. So, why not go ahead and adjust and use Levin, who is an undersized guy who played at Chattanooga, so he didn't play against top-level competition much. You know, he's got a year to acclimate. He's played in the NFL. But, I mean – he he struggled, so go ahead and reset him and see what he can do at center. But I I mean, it wouldn't shock me if you told me that they practiced a line that was Lawan, Spain, Levin, Kelly, and Conklin, and it didn't work out better for everybody. Like 
I, I wouldn't move Conklin because he's never played guard. I don't I don't think he's ever played guard going back to high school. I just mm-hmm. don't think he's ever played the position because believe he started at Michigan as a freshman at left tackle Michigan State and started as a left tackle and never moved. So the the transition from left tackle and right tackle is hard enough. I wouldn't put him in at guard and then mess with him anymore. I would leave him at tackle. And then Kelly, which I think he's played some guard at some point in his career. Well, because I remember I think- when they traded for him, everyone kept calling him a swing, like he could play either one. Swing yeah. tackle, yeah. Yeah, he plays every like he he can kind of play a little bit of everything, like because the way he like his technique isn't like he's got such fast feet, but he can't anchor. Like it's more like. He's fine at anchoring versus a bull rush. He's fine at kick, kicking out mainly because he's so long. Like, I don't know that – I would rather have him at guard than Conklin, partially because I think he could just do a better job. Like, not that, you know, Conklin's playing great at right tackle or anything. I just think Kelly and Conklin are a better fit combined at guard and tackle. So, so he, here, I, I don't know. Here's the quote from Vrabel today. He was asked – if he would consider playing Jack Conklin or Dennis Kelly at guard. And he said, I think that we talk about those things. We do. We discuss moving guys around where you can fit guys in. The question is, is Dennis Kelly a guard that could play in there? Right now, I think we have those discussions. We didn't consider doing that yesterday, but that doesn't mean that won't happen in Houston. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I don't think you could have just shuffled the entire line around in the middle of a game. That, that probably would have been catastrophic. Uh, even though they were playing really bad to begin with. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, we'll see. It, it, it's going to be weird to see Kelly at guard if he does play there, just because he's so massive. I think he'd probably be one of the biggest guards to ever play. Yeah, I mean, he's he's already one of the tallest offensive tackles. Yeah, I know. I mean, like, he's huge. Um, I will say, I, I, well, I'm sure we'll get to this, but I hope Mario didn't hurt. But if he is, and he's just going to sit out this week, the time to practice with a switch is with Gabbard at quarterback. Like, if you're going to have somebody take a hit from a guy who's just completely unblocked because of a scheme miscommunication, you want it to happen to Gabbard. So, and I mean, it sounds like a jerk thing sounds to say. bad, but it's that, true. That just, that just is what it is. So, I mean, it would not surprise me. I, I think if, you know, everybody's healthy and all that. I think you see the same offensive line and it's a project long-term just because it would probably take them two or three weeks to gel. You're still right in the middle of everything in terms of the playoffs. Like as as much as it doesn't feel like it because of that whooping we just took, you're still right in the middle of everything. You know, I don't expect them to change anything, but you know, if this season gets out of hand or if Mariota can't play for a long time, I could definitely see, uh, there being some kind of change. And, and I think Vrabel kept the door open for that. So let, let's talk about Mariota. Uh, his injury is was said to not be a re-aggravation of the elbow, which is odd because usually those national insiders like Schefter and Rappaport are on their game. But Rappaport said this morning like that Gabbert was going to be playing the next several weeks, but Vrabel kind of very quickly like – snuffed out that flame by saying that he hopes Marcus plays on Monday. And you do have an extra long week, so I think that's probably a realistic possibility. But but from a performance standpoint, it was another dud from Mariota yesterday. Held the ball too long, and then he had that horrific pick into cover two against Quincy Wilson. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know who could have played well in that game. It, it was just, it was an S show f- from beginning to end. <laughs> but I, I agree. <laughs> I agree that he didn't, he didn't play well, well at all. He, he played pretty bad, especially that interception was just, that was a horrendous decision. Uh, the, the only explanation I could think of is that he thought Quincy Wilson was going to come down and crash down on, on Derrick Henry, who was running an out out of the slot. But um, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why he would assume that at all. But um, yeah, he tried to he tried to fit that in over Wilson, and, and it just it did not get there. And and we talked about this like maybe a week ago, maybe or a week or two ago, that we wanted to see his interceptions be good interceptions, where he's he's kind of you know trusting his receiver or something like that, not something where he's getting duped by coverage. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. He got duped by a coverage. And it was just one of the worst interceptions he's ever thrown. So, have I lost faith on Mar- in Mariota because of one game? Absolutely not. Um, I don't think a, a, a many quarterbacks could have played um, very well given the performance of the offensive line and given the weapons that that he's been given, especially in this game without Taewon Taylor and without Delaney and with the running backs not even playing well. So, I haven't lost faith. That said, this was a very concerning performance for me just because I've caped for him and he was coming off two, two and a half really good performances. Um, so it's just, it, we're back to square one, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely take the bad performances harder uh, than I take the good performances well, if that makes sense. So I react worse to the negative than get more pumped up for the positive. So, you know, like you said, two and a half good games kind of go down the drain with a bad half and then an injury. But, I mean, I think Mariota just is what he is at this point. Like, I think you're going to get good, good games from him if you can keep him clean and if you can give him something to get rhythm early. But if you don't, then, I mean, he's just prone to not have a good game. Like, And part of it is because he's a quarterback who I don't think can ever drag a team – to an AFC championship game. Like, I think he's going to have to have really good contributions from the run game or from a receiver or having a guy like Delaney Walker have a peak year. Like, he's going to have to have help to get there. But, you know, when you're running out Corey Davis, Batson, and Jennings, that's only going to work for so – and I guess Tajay Sharp. It's only going to work for so long when you've got no running game and your coordinator keeps calling runs on first and second down to put you in terrible situations, which – kind of goes back to another flaw that people keep talking about where they say, you know, why can't he just take the check down? And part of that is because he only gets the ball on second nine and third and nine. So you can't take a check down, get into third and three, and then run it and not convert. And that seems to be what happens every time they get into this rhythm where they don't attack downfield consistently. So Mariota is a guy that, you know, holds on to the ball too long, but He's also the guy that gets pressured at the highest rate of any quarterback in the NFL. So every pass seems like he's holding it too long if he doesn't throw as soon as he hits the back of his drop. And sometimes that's just not there. You know, and the interception to Jonu Smith was bad. I don't even think he saw the defender. It was just a bad job. But, I mean, I have more of a concern that LaFleur is going to continue to do this up-and-down roller coaster play calling where he puts Mariota in bad situations and he either gets hurt or has a bad day, and that's going to affect their whole season more than I am Mariota not being an okay quarterback. 
Yeah, and um, I just I don't know what these fans want. If you want to move on from Mariota, offer a solution because si- signing uh, Colin Kaepernick or Corbin Kaepernick, as someone on on <laughs> Facebook <laughs> thought his name was, that's not a solution. Kaepernick is what thirty years old right now. He hasn't played in two years, so that's not happening. All of the other available quarterbacks are bad. That's why they're available. And all of the upcoming available quarterbacks that are going to be available in the offseason, they are also bad. And they're going to be available because they are bad. And they're not as good as Mariota. That's just that's just the truth. And if you look around, there are a lot of quarterbacks, especially young ones, that are struggling. There's a lot that are that are doing very well. That's because they're in unbelievable offenses with coordinators who understand how to create mismatches and scheme their guys open. Look at the Rams. Look at the Chiefs. They Their quarterbacks are in pristine situations. Granted, Mahomes makes some of the best throws. So does Goff. They make incredible throws. I'm not saying Mariota's at their level, but they have everything going right for them. Mariota has pretty much everything going wrong for him. Um, and we, we kind of, we're kind of seeing that with Wentz over the last couple of weeks where the Eagles are just really bad and they're not being put in good situations um, within their offense. And Wentz has thrown five interceptions over the last three games. Uh, he, he had one of the worst performances from a quarterback uh, this last week against the Saints. And I don't hear anyone even complaining about him because they have faith in him. And clearly Times fans don't. Um, maybe Wentz has given uh, Eagles fans more faith because he's played better in the past. But so has Mariota. Mariota in his second year was one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Um, and it's pretty clear that he just needs weapons around him and a better offense around him. Here's my thing with Mariota. He gives you a chance to win, clearly. He's going to have some duds. However, I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would be a playoff contender if they had Mariota. Oh, because that roster, unbelievable. I remember in training camp when they came down to Nashville, I'm looking at their roster. I'm like, how in the world are they not going to win their division? And I'm like, oh, yeah, because they have Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston as their quarterbacks. <laughs> like, Mariota's fine. Move on. New discussion. Right? Yeah. Yes. I mean, at a certain point, you either – have your expectations way too high and don't understand the minimum bar, you know, a playoff caliber quarterback can be in the NFL or you had a, you know, you have a predisposition to root against him and that's why you're using his bad performances to back it up. That's, that's the only two options at this point. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to uh, the other side of the ball. I want to talk about the pass rush for a second because they were absent yesterday. I was telling Will, a minute ago that Andrew Luck showed us everything of his old self except his mobility, and that's because he literally did not have to leave the pocket yesterday. He just stood there and made his throws. And so where is the pass rush? Where's Harold Landry? Where's Correa? Where's Ratpo? Where's Morgan? Where's Jarrell Casey? Where's Daquan Jones? None of them are doing anything. It's like a collective thing. It's not because unlike the offensive line, like if one of them's bad, it's just immediately a train wreck because the quarterback's getting sacked. With the pass rush, one guy can have a good game and the whole unit looks good, but none of them are playing well, and so the whole unit is bad. Yeah, and and this is this is also becoming a theme because in the Ravens game and the Dolphins game, it was the same type of performance. 
Tannehill and Flacco had all the time in the world to throw, but but this last one was was something else. I mean, sure, you can probably give credit to the Colts line. They haven't given up a sack in five games, so they're clearly doing something right. Uh, some of that may be scheme related, but it, we couldn't touch. We couldn't touch Andrew Luck. We couldn't put a single finger on him, and no one is making a play. I mean, the, I did, I really didn't even notice Harold Landry in this game. And Brian Arakpo, I, I, I don't. Is he ever? Is he going to get sacked the rest of his career? Because it doesn't seem like he is. Oh yeah, I mean that was tough. Like <laughs> the only time they did anything was when Arakpo and Harold Landry both met at Andrew Luck, and as just this happened last week with Harold Landry too, he gets knocked off of a potential sack by getting hit by another player on the other side. So. I mean, Landry's winning, but a lot of the formations are, you know, three tight ends, and they seem to want to line him up very wide instead of bringing a lineback- off-the-ball linebacker down and covering the tight end like that. Uh, I guess just that's how their run fits work. But it makes it really hard for Landry to get to the quarterback when the ball comes out quickly, which it did a lot yesterday. There's a lot of, like, quick passes and, you know, max protection and stuff like that. But, I mean – all, all of this is so dependent on the guys in the middle doing something. You, you mean, Jarrell Casey is a good player, and he's had a good year in a macro view. But he has not been exceptionally disruptive in two months. I mean, he like I, I know everybody, all the Titans fans want him to be, you know, Adkins or Sue or, you know, almost an Aaron Donald's tier. He's just not. Like, he's just... I don't remember him doing anything since the Houston game. Yeah, I mean, that that, that may be it. Like, he he went on that tear where I think he averaged a sack a game, and then he's done some things in in, uh, run defense. I think he did one, or I think Philadelphia, he had a good game, even though he didn't have a good statistical game. Like, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of things where he kind of, like, forced the running backs to change the hole they were going to hit. and that. But since then, I just... It's it's not that he's a non-factor, but it's just everybody wants to point to him as a star that we have on the defensive line. And part of that is because that's what all the Titans fans hear from the talking heads when they're talking about our defense is because they know him because he's a pro bowler. And Casey's a good player. Like, he, he's not the problem on this defense. But what I'm trying to tell you is that he's the best player on this defensive line, and when he doesn't have a really good game, you're going to get nothing from the defensive line. Austin Johnson very rarely shows up. Uh, DeJuan Jones very rarely shows up. Uh, no, Bindi Logan, you know, he really doesn't do much. The, the second best guy on the team is Kil- is Darius Kilgore. Like, he just is the only player who's made a play on the defensive line in the past two or three weeks, aside from the Austin Johnson, like, pass deflection or tackle for loss or whatever it was against Dallas. Like, that, that is a huge concern for this team, and it doesn't matter how good your edge rushers are. If you're going to line them up outside of the tight end, it's almost impossible for them to get to the quarterback anyway. So you've got to have something happening inside, and when you're not blitzing your linebackers because you're in bad defensive packages and you're getting nothing from your defensive tackles, this is what happens. I want to pose yeah, this discussion. Go, go ahead, Matias. No, I, I was going to say um, da- Daquan Jones is non-existent. Yeah, uh, I think I think it's more so concerning that he's non-existent because he's a guy that we gave an extension to in the offseason, 
And this also applies to Josh Klein. We extended him also. And they just are not returning value at all. So it's it's something to truly be concerned yeah, about. And when I was going to say that if you didn't, the, that both of these big extensions that Robinson got done over the offseason have been total duds. Not not Lawan, obviously, but like those two, Klein and, and Daquan Jones, duds. Yeah, and we thought they were good extensions at the well, time because I, they, they I, had played I, really I, well I for a couple I, of years. I did not think the Klein extension was good. Let me be the first to say that. I thought that was a bad decision okay. from the start. I did like the Jones decision, though. But I, I thought they would move on from uh, Klein and bring in like a, a, a Josh Sitton or a Justin Pugh or someone different. And, and then we started hearing this stuff about, well, it's a zone scheme now and that's going to change everything. No, it didn't. It got worse. Because don't you have to move more in a yeah. zone scheme? And he's like the slowest guy on the face of the earth. You don't have to pull. You just block the guy in front of you. But like, don't you have to have more lateral ability? Yeah, I mean, that that is generally true. I mean, he's not like, it's weird. Like, athletically, he's not bad. It's just, when oh, you watch I him, beg to differ because when they did run a power scheme, that, that man could not pull to save his life. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, like, on paper, yeah. his combine number, like, his, his athletic testing is not bad. It's when you put cleats on him and make him actually run with shoulder pads on, it's like he's running with a refrigerator on his back. I mean, he's so slow. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, the one thing I'll say about the extension is it makes Klein like the 20th highest paid right guard in the NFL, which may still be too much, but it's not like they gave him any sort of big contract. Like it's not like it was, you know, okay, we're going to give him top 10 money. I mean, there's in two years when this contract's over, I mean, I'm not sure he'll even be getting paid what starting guard money is the way that that's kind of rising. So I mean, it's not some big, huge deal. It was more just a deal to get him back in the building. I mean, it's if he was on the bench, it really wouldn't hurt their cap in any way. Like, it wouldn't be like they're giving up too much for a guy on the bench. It's just, it's more the fact that they didn't see that as a weakness and go out and upgrade it. Well, and I think part of it, there's a difference between, like, being complacent and, like, enabling a situation. Like, there's a difference between me letting my alcoholic friend go to the bar and there's a difference there's a difference between that and me buying him a six pack and that's what the titans did they didn't just like ignore the problem they extended the problem they went out and made an effort to make sure that this problem would last longer yeah it hasn't worked out <laughs> so I think if if Corey Levin was any way decent, I think it'd be okay because whatever you have Levin on a rookie contract. If you sit Klein, uh, you don't feel too bad about his money just sitting on the bench. But as we saw from Levin in the Chargers game, uh, he's not really an option right now. So I want to pose this discussion. We kind of talked about it before we started recording. During the early parts of the season, the discussion we had was who between Arakpo and Morgan do the Titans need to re-sign after their contracts expire at the end of this season. And now the discussion is, are either one of them worth re-signing? Because they have done nothing this year. Uh, Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, Arakpo, it's just, I don't know. I think he just... He's not... Get, get some young athletic pass rushers, right? You have the athletes. You have Correa and Landry. Those are both the speed guys. Draft a power rusher, like a bigger guy, and you're set. 
You know, I, I think it, if I would give either of them a pass, it'd be Derek Morgan just because, you know, he's dealt with a lot of injuries this year. But I, he's never been like one of those one of those pass rushers that comes in and just he gets sacks. He's never been a sack guy. He's more so a better run defender. Um, and he can get he can get pressure on, on the quarterback every now and then. A rack a is a little bit better at both, but this year it's it's just nothing. Uh, it, it, Harold Landry uh, has played better than both of them. Cher uh, Finch has honestly played better than both of them in his limited reps. So it's probably going to come down to to how much money they're going to want, and we're probably going to get priced out of it because I don't see a reason. Uh, to pay either of these these guys, especially they're in their early 30s. Uh, Arakpo's 32. Uh, Morgan's about to be 30. So I don't I don't know. I I'd rather just just sign someone else in free agency for like five to seven million per year than than extend either of these guys. Yeah, I mean, I mean this in the nicest possible way, but they both seem like future Oakland Raiders to me. Like. They're both older guys who are probably bigger names than even Derek Morgan, who almost got a big deal from Atlanta the year when he came back to the Titans. You know, they're both bigger names than they are players at this point, whose best days are probably behind them. I mean, and that hurts to say because I, I've always been a big fan of Derek Morgan as a very solid, you know, the guy who gets the work done in the trenches, who you know doesn't always get praise, but who deserves more attention. You know, for several years he was really good. Brian Arakpo's been the flashier guy, and earlier in the season he was still pretty good versus the run. But, I mean, it's just slowly less and less and less, and teams are respecting him less and less, and he's not doing anything to change their mind. So I don't think they signed any of them. I mean, let me run down a list of the pass rushers that are available in free agency this uh, offseason. Ziggy Ansah, Demarcus Lawrence, Cameron Wake, Jadevian Clowney, Brandon Graham, Dante Fowler, Terrell Suggs, Michael Johnson, William Hayes, Alex Okafor, Bruce Urban, Shaquille Barrett, D. Ford. I mean, there's several more. Uh, Frank Clark is also a free agent. Like, there's several guys who are all going to be 10 million plus guys who deserve it, who are going to hit the free market. And this is maybe the best crop of edge rushers I've ever seen hit free agency all at once. And even if three or four of them get franchise tags or long deals, I mean, if you get the sixth or seventh best guy on that list and you pair him with Harold Landry, you should still have a pretty good starting combination at, at pass rusher. And then, you know, combine that with decent depth with Sharif Finch and Kamala Correa. And ultimately you're going to be getting a bargain on the edge position as a whole. So I just, I don't know financially or on film how it makes sense to bring either one of those guys back. I will say this on this issue. Morgan and Arakpo combine for a $17 million cap hit this season. $17 million. They're, they're gone. They're gone. Get Clear $17 million off the books. You're not losing anything of value because they haven't done anything this year. They're both in their 30s. So it'd be, you'd be extending an old guy anyway and hoping for some sort of like miracle Calais Campbell season. And use that $17 million... To, I'm not saying go get like a Demarcus Lawrence or someone like that because I think that's a little, a little much. But use that $17 million to get a running back, to get a center, to get a wide receiver, 
Because Morgan and Aragpo, that'd be a waste of money as far as I'm concerned. And nothing against them as human beings. They've been great for this franchise, both of them. But it's over. It's over. I, I, I totally agree. Yeah, I think with $17 million, you could actually um, do make a lot of nice moves like John Robinson has, has in the past, um, kind of getting guys on bargain deals. Um, one guy you mentioned was Alex Okafor. He's been a really nice uh, role player for the for the Saints ever since there uh, from the Cardinals. He's got nine sacks over the last two years. He could be a really nice rotational piece. And then you can sign a wide receiver for, what, $10 million maybe with the remaining money. And there you go. You get two contributors at positions where you need uh, contributors, um, and they'll probably be more productive than Arakpo and Morgan have been uh, this season. So I agree. Yeah, I mean, the the one other guy I would point out, and I don't think y'all like him very much, is D Ford. Um, he was I, I, just, last I just think year. he's like a lesser Harold Landry. I mean, he's he's a lesser version of what we think Harold Landry will become. Yeah, I mean, he's, I think he's like uh, he, he's a speed rusher who. Okay, so he has nine sacks this year and four forced fumbles, and uh, he was hurt last year. And then the year before, he had 10 sacks and one forced fumble. I mean, he's a guy who gets in the backfield and makes plays, which, and I don't know y'all's philosophy on this, but mine is the whole point of a defensive line is to get to the quarterback or to get penetration. Like, two-gapping is really a system of the past, and I don't think many people do it anymore. Maybe New England some, maybe Pittsburgh some, but – the point of your defensive line with how athletic and, you know, flexible and powerful these guys are now is try to get in the backfield and screw up anything the offense is doing and then let your linebackers be there to clean up after them. That, I think that's what a front seven should be. So get D4 and Harold Landry, guys that you can't give special attention to both of them and they're both speed rushers. So you can't leave a tight end and a running back both – to block those guys two and two or else you're only running like a two man route and set those guys up and then get another guy in the middle and, you know, wreak havoc on offenses. I don't think they're, I don't think he's a perfect player, but he's a guy I could see not getting a huge deal, but getting a, you know, 12, 10, 11 million or somewhere in that range. And then you have Finch and Correa who are fine run stopping defensive ends. And then you get Harold Landry and D Ford, which is a double dose of speed and then you've really got something going. Yeah, and I think that's enough. I don't. I don't think you need need to get two or three pass rushers. I think if you just get one starter um, at a at a decent contract or, or even through the draft, um, I think that's fine. And you could just get a, a guy like Finch this year, um, where maybe an undrafted guy or late round draft pick that can contribute every now and then. And I mean, next year you're gonna have Landry, Finch, and Correa on the roster. Like that's guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so so, like so the depth the depth is fine. All right, la- last thing uh, we've really just kind of done more state of the Titans roster than a recap, but I think that's really what we needed to do uh, as we close out. Since it's the holiday coming up, of all the, I want you to name the Titans player that you have been the most thankful to watch ever. Um, I, I'm having trouble coming up with one. Do either of you like one just jumps to mind like right away? 
ever? Yeah. Steve McNair. Uh, mine's Chris Johnson. I think. I think I'm pretty. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I'm pretty yeah. like, well known for thinking that yeah. Chris Johnson is a much better player than people remember him. I think I'm gonna go Delaney Walker. I love that guy, and, and he's so much fun to watch. That's fair. Those uh, are good picks. Corey Davis is super fun. Okay, to watch. we're going a little too far. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you were gonna say Delaney Walker. Like you could have said Keith Bullock or Javon Curse. Delaney Walker's or three-time Al- Pro Bowler. Corey Davis has two hundred-yard games. Okay, Kevin Byard. Uh, on on a realer note, yeah. Kevin Byard is really fun to watch. He's so that, good. That's something that's not getting enough attention this year, and people who watch the Titans are talking about it. Like Kevin Byard consistently gives high effort. You know, when we're losing by – I mean, I think he plays every snap that's not a kneel-down snap. I think he's only missed three all year. Um, He plays the run game well. He plays the pass game well. He's always running. You know, that he never gives up on a play, which sounds like a high school, middle school thing to praise a guy for. But, I mean, he is the heartbeat of – I mean, his perception of Dak and then running to the star may be what – you know, push the Titans from being a four or five win team at that point to, you know, being 500 now with a chance to actually do something. I agree. I agree. That's going to do it for us. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Enjoy the holiday. Enjoy spending time with family. Uh, We'll be back later in the week after the holiday to preview Titans Texans. Until then, from Matthias Wander and Luke Worsham, uh, excuse me, from from Matthias Wander and Will Lomas, I'm Luke Worsham. (laughs) We'll see everyone later in the week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.